1: An APT-41 subgroup uses new techniques to bypass security products. Iranian cyber espionage group Muddy Water is using managed service provider tools. Wipers reappear in Ukrainian networks. Meta observes and disrupts the new node-stealer malware campaign. The city of Dallas is moderately affected by a ransomware attack. My conversation with Karen Voodla, part of the U.S. State Department's Cyber Fellowship Program. Leslie Carhart from Dragos shares real-world stories of incident response and threat intelligence. And there's been an indictment and a takedown in a major Dark Web Carter case. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Thursday, May 4th, 2023. We begin with a rundown of some developments in cyber espionage. Researchers at Trend Micro have discovered a new campaign by the Earth-Longi subgroup of APT41. The attacks use a relatively novel technique the researchers call stack rumbling. Stack rumbling uses image file execution options, typically a denial-of-service method, to disable security products. The researchers state, We've noticed that this campaign installs drivers as kernel-level services, by using Microsoft Remote Procedure Call instead of using general Windows application programming interfaces. This is a stealthy way to evade typical API monitoring. Trend Micro notes that the campaign tends to exploit public-facing applications, internet information services, and Microsoft Exchange servers. Earth Long-G is also using forged Windows Defender binaries to launch a new variant of CroxLoader and SP Hijacker, which can disable security products. Earthlongi has been seen targeting government, healthcare, technology, and manufacturing organizations in the Philippines, Thailand, Taiwan, and Fiji. The researchers assess that Vietnam and Indonesia are probably the next countries Earthlongi will target. ESET has reported a new campaign by Muddy Water, a cyber espionage group linked to Iran's government, the group's use of Simple Help, a legitimate managed service provider tool, was of special interest. ESET says We discovered that when Simple Help remote support software was present on a victim's disk, Muddy Water operators deployed Legalo, a reverse tunnel, to connect the victim's system to their command and control servers. While this campaign continues, Muddy Water's use of Simple Help has, thus far, Successfully obfuscated the Muddy Water CNC servers. The commands to initiate Legalo from SimpleHelp have not been captured. ESET reached out to the MSP that owned the tools used, but so far the timing of the attack and the methods it used to obtain the tool remain unknown. ESET writes MSPs require both trusted network connectivity and privileged access to customer systems in order to provide services. This means they accumulate risk and responsibility for large numbers of clients. Importantly, clients can also inherit risks from their chosen MSP's activity and environment. CERT UA warns that the threat group UAC-0165, almost certainly Russian, and probably the GRU's sandworm, has deployed Roarbat wipers against networks in Ukraine. They state, It has been found that the performance of electronic computing machines, such as server equipment, automated user workplaces, and data storage systems, was impaired as a result of destructive influence carried out using the appropriate software. The nominally hacktivist group Cyber Army of Russia Reborn in January of this year claimed a similar attack against the Ukraine Forum news service. CERT UA points out that organizations can take measures to protect themselves against Roarbat. CERT UA states, Please note that the successful implementation of the attack was facilitated by the lack of multi-factor authentication when making remote VPN connections, the lack of network segmentation and filtering of incoming, outgoing, and inter-segment information flows. Meta yesterday detailed a new malware campaign that targets social media accounts by advertising chat GPT services. Node Stealer, first identified in January, has been targeting several platforms, including Dropbox, Google Drive, Mega, Mediafire, Discord, Atlassian's Trilo, Microsoft OneDrive, and iCloud in addition to meta platforms. Meta claims to have blocked over 1,000 unique chatgpt themed malicious URLs on its platform. They write... These actions led to a successful disruption of the malware. We have not observed any new samples of malware in the Node Stealer family since February 27th of this year and continue monitoring for any potential future activity. Node Stealer favors disguising its malware, which arrives as an executable, as Microsoft Office files or PDFs, both very commonly used formats. Meta explains that when executed... The malware first establishes persistence to ensure that it continues to operate after the victim restarts the machine. The malware uses the auto-launch module on Node.js to do so. The malware is designed to steal browser data like passwords and cookies, and it works against users of Chrome, Opera, Microsoft Edge, and Brave browsers. Meta has also shared indicators of compromise and other information about Node Stealer's operation to promote a stronger collective defense. The city of Dallas has reported that it was affected by a ransomware attack yesterday. The effects seem to be limited, amounting to a nuisance. The city says less than 200 of the city's thousands of devices are impacted, but if any city device is at risk, it will be quarantined and blocked by IT services. The Dallas Police Department has experienced a disruption of its computer network that's requiring 911 dispatchers to take notes and pass the information directly to police officers. The city courts were forced to close yesterday and today. A ransom note researcher Brett Callow obtained and tweeted indicates that the attack may have been carried out by the Royal Ransomware Group. U.S., Austrian, and German authorities have taken down the try to check service, a dark web platform on which criminals could run checks on the validity of stolen credit cards. Bleeping Computer writes that try to check is believed to have been in operation since 2005. The C2C platform's operator, Russian citizen Denis Gennadievich Kulkov, was also indicted in the U.S. on charges related to access device fraud, computer intrusion, and money laundering. Mr. Kulikov is presently living, if not exactly living it up, in Russia, and so is out of reach of U.S. law enforcement, but the feds will be watching for him to slip up and leave his relatively safe life in Russia for more appealing precincts. The U.S. Secret Service and State Department have announced a $10 million reward under the Transnational Organized Crime Rewards Program, for information leading to his apprehension. It's World Password Day. Talk among yourselves about all the obituaries and valedictions being pronounced on the password as such. But more importantly, may the fourth be with you. And don't get cocky, kid. Do or do not. There is no try. And finally, our CyberWire associate producer Liz Irvin was with us for the first time at the RSA conference this year. And she shared her mic with conference goers walking the show floor. She files this report.
2: We're here in the beautiful San Francisco at the RSA conference for 2023. My name is Liz Irvin, and this is my woman on the street walk and talk with cyber professionals around the world. So starting off, have you ever been to RSA before?
0: First time at RSA.
2: This is my first time at RSA.
0: The company's been here,
2: was here last year, but this is my first time here. So what you, what are you finding that you liked so far and how, how is it going? First of all, I was really impressed by uh, the, the marketing effort of, uh, of everyone. I love the possibility to, t- to interact uh, with uh, other
1: technology vendor. So it's a really good way to, to let's say, interact and uh, meet the people you are not used to work with or not used to exchange with. I thought it was going to be overwhelming, and as much as it's very busy, um, it's actually very comfortable. I like the, the atmosphere. I'm learning a lot about, not so much from a competitive basis, but those around that we can work you know, with for better symbiosis as well.
2: It's honestly inspiring. It's kind of gotten me out of an academic rut, thinking more about how I see myself in the cyber world in the future. The theme this year is called Stronger Together. What do you think and how do you feel about that theme for this year? I can definitely see the theme of Stronger Together kind of ringing off of every like, room in this conference too. And I think more than that, the strategy within cyber and the vision that people have is definitely a whole of society approach. There's a real recognition that everyone here has something to bring to the table. I definitely think that that is a, a theme that's really important and uh, a theme that I've been seeing a lot, not just only in the US, but also in the UK. Um, I think it's so important, no matter, like, you know, if you're a competitor or if you're part of the same team, it's always so important to do knowledge sharing because, you know, that's how we grow. And ultimately, we also just need to protect.
0: Fundamentally, cybersecurity is a team sport. And we are stronger together. To use an old systems engineering adage, uh, the whole is truly greater than the sum of its parts.
2: So last question, do you know what RSA stands for?
0: Absolutely not.
2: I, I don't. (laughs) <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> um, I know that it's uh, the last three letters of the three founders of the company, of, of the trade show.
1: RSA is, I believe, an acronym for, I don't know how to pronounce all three names, but there are three individuals that uh, started Crypto crypto Algorithm, I believe, in the 70s, and now it's pretty much just RSA. Uh, no idea what their last names are, though.
2: It stands for three last names that oh. I cannot pronounce. Okay. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs>
1: That's Liz Irvin, our N2K Network's associate producer, reporting from the show floor of last week's RSA conference in San Francisco. Coming up after the break, my conversation with Karen Voodla, part of the U.S. State Department's Cyber Fellowship Program. Leslie Carhart from Dragos shares real-world stories of incident response and threat intelligence. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. Leslie Carhart is Director of Incident Response at Dragos, and it is my pleasure to welcome them to the show. Leslie, great to see you again. Uh, show going well for you
0: so far here at our RSA conference? It's going fantastic. I've done the hard part of giving my talk, so now it's, it's easy from here.
1: Well, let's talk about that. Uh, you were part of a keynote panel this morning. Can you share some insights? Uh, what was that all about?
0: It was on Incident Response, and it was a rock star panel I was very privileged to be a part of with Wendy Whitmore and Katie Nichols and Lily Newman, just a phenomenal group of people talking about Incident Response and what's going on in in that space and what's in the store for the future in that space.
1: Can you share with us some of the highlights? What were some of the insights that the group shared?
0: So we talked a lot about the evolution of threats and how ransomware attacks and criminal actors are changing their tactics as well as what state actors are up to these days. But we also talked a lot about the challenges that we face in incident response as a profession. So that that's everything from mental health and burnout to hiring pipelines. It's very challenging to get new people into the field. And also things like planning for incident response and how to share information and how to make hard risk decisions about what to do in incidents. So it was a, a wide array of important topics that are challenging it depends kind of questions.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm really interested as a leader in that space, when you're looking to bring people onto your team, what are the personality elements that make for a good incident responder?
0: You have to have a couple different important skill sets. So first of all, you have to be a good investigator. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to have all the technical skills right away, but you have to have a good investigative methodology and mindset. So you need to be able to, understand the scientific method for building a hypothesis and trying to disprove it. And understanding that you have to have evidence before you jump to conclusions and corroborating evidence. So we talked a lot about skepticism. So it's important to be skeptical about incident response and what's potentially happening in an environment. A lot of us come into environments where everybody's panicking Mm. and we have to do a lot of crisis management. So that becomes a second important skill set for incident responders. We also have to be Very good at being the common voice in the room. We equated it to being a therapist or being a parent. You have to exude confidence and calm in a situation where everybody's upset. So you have to be able to do both of those things. But in terms of investigative mindset, you have to understand that you can't jump to conclusions. Everything that you are finding has to be corroborated. And sometimes you're trying to disprove something instead of prove it. Everybody else is certain that. The crisis is being caused by a particular state, or it's cyber-caused at all. And you're coming in saying, well, let's get some evidence, and what if it isn't? Let's try to disprove that actually being what happened. Hmm. That's how you do good science and good investigation. So you have to have both of those skill sets, which is a challenging combination sometimes.
1: Is diplomacy a part of it too? Your interactions with the folks, you're the outsider coming in, right?
0: I sometimes call my job marriage counseling, in fact, (laughs) and that's especially (laughs) applicable to industrial incident response, which is a a different beast in a lot of different ways. But in industrial incident response, we have even more personality management. Hmm. We often have the engineers and the operators who do the important process work. They are the bread and butter of their organization. And then you have a cybersecurity team as well who's doing important work to protect that process space, but they speak a different language and they step on each other's toes. Sometimes there's been a decade or two decades of hostile relationship between those groups, between IT people not understanding the process and not understanding that they can't just bring systems down to patch them. That's problematic for for safety reasons, for, for life and safety reasons. And those miscommunications over time have built this animosity where sometimes our team just has to come in and sit at a table for them to have a conversation. We just have to sit there. We don't have to say a lot. You Hmm. know, we come with some donuts and we sit at the middle of the table and then they'll finally talk to one another, which they haven't done in years. But yeah, incident response is a lot of that. There's a lot of personality management. You have a lot of people in authority who are panicking and trying to... They might perceive that they've done something wrong, even though incidents can happen to absolutely any organization. But there's a lot of blame and passing blame during incidents oftentimes. And there's a lot of people trying to protect themselves and their careers. Everybody's stressed out. It's a big crisis. It's, a, it's the worst day for an organization. So a lot of what we do is try to calm people down and, again, be that authoritative, calm voice in the room.
1: As you walk around the show floor here at uh, the RSA conference, what are you seeing in terms of trends in your specific industry, industrial control systems? Or are, are there any patterns you're seeing among the providers there?
0: The interesting thing to me at RSA every year is seeing what the flavor of the year is. Mm. Everybody's kind of coming in with similar products every year. You know, they, they're still selling their services or their products and they do important things, but they frame their advertising and their marketing materials around whatever people are kind of worried about the collective subconscious for the year. And that's fascinating to me because it's not just the collective subconscious of technical practitioners like me but also like executives, what are they worried about? You'll see that reflected across the floor at RSA in terms of marketing and branding and how people are selling the same things that they sell every year. But this year they're concerned about specific things. So on the floor this year, you see like a lot of chat GPT, you see a lot of (laughs) SBOM. SBOM is very relevant to industrial cybersecurity. So I'm really happy to see that discussed. Of course, the foundations and fundamentals are still very, very challenging for industrial operators. And is there more attention being brought to that at RSA? Not necessarily, because the, the fundamentals like asset management and basic security monitoring, they aren't as cool and fun to flashy ad advertise for at RSA, definitely, but they're still very, very important. But all the things that people are concerned about every year are, are, tend to be real issues that matter for cybersecurity. Like last year, we saw a lot of discussion of zero trust. Everybody was everybody's booth. No matter what they were selling, they all talked about zero trust.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Year before that, it was MITRE attack, and those are all important things that are important elements of cybersecurity. It's just interesting to me to st- seeing what people are concerned about and what they're talking about at RSA every year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Leslie Carhart is Director of Incident Response at Dragos. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: An absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Karen Voodla is Advisor for Digital Affairs at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Estonia, At last week's RSA conference, I spoke with her about her participation in the U.S. State Department's Global Emerging Leaders in International Cyberspace Security Fellowship.
2: It was something that was um, facilitated by the embassies across the globe. um, And I was approached by the, um, or actually our MFA was approached by the U.S. Embassy in Tallinn. When it was time to set up the candidates, my boss came to me asking like, this sounds like a great program. Uh, Would you be interested? And I was like, absolutely. You know, it seems something that it can be a great opportunity to meet people across the globe, to get more insights of the whole cybersecurity uh, space that we're dealing with. So I just thought it's a great opportunity. Of course, I didn't hear back for like months and months. Mm. So I was trying to figure out like, was I elected? What's the case? Where's the, you know, where are we standing right now? And then, Eventually, when um, Brian uh, from our um, U.S. Embassy then, so greetings to Brian, uh, reached out to me, he was like, congratulations, you're chosen. And then, you know, the excitement got real and I was really trying to figure out what's uh, waiting for me ahead.
1: Sure. Well, what were your responsibilities back home in Estonia?
2: Um, Well, it's actually interesting because last year our MFA went through a reform process structuring the uh, the MFA so before I was actually dealing with digital affairs under the um, trade department and then now it was merged with cyber diplomacy so for a year almost we've been the digital and cyber diplomacy department so my duties have also changed a bit over time um, but right now I'm really uh, focusing on international digital policy so it's a lot to do with the UN the discussions you know on the global scale. Of course, we have some of our own projects globally by Estonia, which I'm also a part of. Then again, it's the EU that we're a member of. So some of the work in the EU and of course on a national level because you know we have to participate in our national policymaking matters. So it's actually, yeah, it's outwards, but it's also like inside of Estonia.
1: And so what have the opportunities been through this fellowship? What are some of the things that you've been able to experience?
2: Uh, Well, today it's Wednesday, I guess. I'm still a bit jet lag, right? (laughs) Uh, It's been like, it's 10 hours the time difference between uh, uh, here uh, in San Francisco and in Estonia. Uh, But like so far, the program has been great. And I think it has been great uh, since the evening I arrived. You know, we had a nice dinner together. Everyone tired, but you already go Interact, you know, you realize the the people have come across the globe. Literally, we have people from all kinds of continents, um, and then so I would say the um, the interactions are definitely one of the main things. Um, then again, we met the uh, ambassador for uh, cyber and digital space, uh, Nathaniel Thick, uh, on Monday. Then we have been at the RSA conference on Monday, and then full day today. We also heard more about the ransomware uh, task force uh, just before coming here. Uh, yesterday, we visited the Google headquarters and heard about their um, uh, activities in terms of the cybersecurity, and uh, then we visited the Stanford University.
1: And I think a part of the program here is that you have the opportunity to interact with other fellows from different parts of the world. That has to be a, an enriching experience in its own.
2: Oh, absolutely! I think that was why I was mentioning this as the as the first thing, right? You come here, um, even though in my job you go and interact with diplomats inside of your working groups, um, you know the work of line that I do. But then you come here um, and you realize how people's personal perceptions are also a bit different, maybe from from the states, right? Uh, so it's literally just a lot of conversations that really like open your eyes more in terms of what I do. But again, like the cultural differences, I think these enrich our whole fellowship group uh, a lot. And I think uh, Linda from the, from the State Department who is bossing around the, us here a bit, uh, she's been telling that, today, that it really is a good group that's been put together and I really second on that.
1: What are you looking forward to over the time that you're going to be able to experience this? And, and what are you hoping to, to bring back home from the experience?
2: I, uh, on purpose, didn't want to uh, set any expectations for myself, you know, just to kind of go to the fellowship, see how it develops, you know, get just the most out of it I can. And I'm really thankful for the State Department for the program that they have put together because really hearing who have they managed to squeeze into the agenda, knowing these people are really busy every day and they're really experts in, in their field, I think it will... Give us a lot of uh, new information. Um, of course, I'm really uh, interested to hear more about the U.S. and its national initiatives, and you know how their policymaking and, of course, the whole structure is. Uh, is because you know the federal system compared to the country I come from, it's uh, it's very different, and it's uh, it's really it's really interesting to actually hear like how other uh, countries operate and what they do.
1: Our thanks to Karen Voodla from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Estonia for joining us. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms/fedcyber. That's aka.ms/fedcyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Ivan. Our mixer is Trey Hester, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.